<laughs> yes, friends. It's Robcast, episode 291. And uh, it's always more fun with Kristen Bell. So here I am. <laughs> episode 291. I think we should call this episode Now What? Right. Based on a part in your book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to read you a section, this section from the book, and then Kristen and I started talking about what I was going to do, and it's just way more fun when you do it with me. Right. Well, and then you had stuff Well, I read. thought it was interesting when you were telling me what you were going to talk about. This was one of the main things that jumped out to me when I read the book, is I loved this prayer. Well, I'm kind of giving it away, but... Um, <laughs> I loved this part of the book. Um, so we talked about doing it together. So here we go. There's this fascinating thing. Um, the book is called Everything is Spiritual, and Everything is Spiritual came out September 15th. So I am in my sixth week of doing, because way before the book starts, you start doing interviews. So what happens is you write a book for a couple years, sort of all alone. You're just typing and this book especially, which is sort of what it's like to be me, what I've learned, what happened, what I learned after that. But then after several years of typing and editing and editing some more and a third draft and a fourth draft and a fifth draft, and the, then you start doing interviews about the book. And so it's my experience, but then other people read it and they have their experience, and they find their experience in my experience, and then they share with me in the interview. You know what I mean? Right. It's an evolution of ideas. Oh, it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like tennis. Like you like hit the ball over the net, somebody hits it back. I mean, there were multiple people involved in putting the book together, like... Editor. Yeah, for one, but um, artist, what, whatever, like whatever pieces need, need oh, to come together to make yeah. a book, um, because... How the book feels and all of that I know, is the little, part of the experience. Like right now, the little bumps on the cover. When they told me the cover would have bumps, I was like, ooh, texture, nice. <laughs> right. So, But what I'm thinking about is that it started with your ideas, and then you got some other people involved, and yeah. it turned into a book, and then you put the book out into the world, and as people read it, they get involved with the uh, ideas, yeah. Um, whether it's reading it and talking yeah. about it with somebody or passing the book to somebody or like what you're saying is doing interviews. Um, it just continues, like, like the ideas have this momentum. It's like a living dynamic thing. And it's so fascinating to see what other people pick up on. So like each interview, you know, in the past for me, like going out, doing, well, going out, sitting in the front yard <laughs> in a pandemic book release. Um, I've never really enjoyed interviews that much, but this has been absolutely wonderful. Now, do you find that because you've done a lot of interviews now, podcasts mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. Um, does everybody kind of zero in on something different or are there some themes? Uh, a number of people say, oh, this is the book I'd always hope you'd write. 
I'd hoped you'd write. Or people say, I wondered what that was like, and then you told us in the book. So there, there, there is larger themes, people. And um, no, it's, I never know. It's totally different each time. That's what makes it so interesting, is each interview is like, I have no idea what parts the person is going to pick out and want to explore. That's what, that's what makes it so, so fascinating. Like um, this, first, this now what section, there's a, I told you about this podcast, Elizabeth and Rachel. One is a doula, so her job is birth, and the other is a hospice chaplain, so her job is death. And they're beloved friends, and they have this ongoing argument, funny argument, about who has the better job, because they both think they have the best job, birth and death. Yeah. But they have this podcast called Everyday Thin Places. That's great, isn't it? Right. It's a great title, and it's a great co- concept. I love the concept. Oh. And, and, and obviously their premise is participating in births and deaths, you, things are revealed. You, you see the depth and mystery and wonder of life in the exits and entrances, which there are a number of them in this book. Um, but they picked up, uh, shout out, by the way, to Elizabeth and Rachel, but they picked up on the um, part, page 40, when I'm in the hospital bed, completely lost. Because when I was in college, I had this brain infection and I ended up in the hospital. And I lay there in that hospital bed. For those of you keeping track of home, page 40. I lay there as read by the author <laughs> in that hospital bed, completely lost. I kept repeating these two words to no one in particular. Now what? I realize now that those two words were forming a prayer. Now what? In a visceral way, prayer is naming what matters to you. Now what? is what mattered to me. I had all this energy and passion and desire to give myself to something, and now I had nothing. It was a gut-wrenching question, that now what? A full-bodied, desperate plea. It was angry and impotent and honest. I had no plan B. I didn't get good grades in college. I didn't really have a resume. I started a painting company called Skinny Boy Painting, that I ran in the summers. And by company, I mean me. I was my only employee. I didn't see myself doing that next. Now what was all I could muster up? It's at the end of ourselves that new futures open up. Our plans fall apart. Our strength isn't enough. Our cleverness fails us. Now what? That's universal. You cry out like that, and you're joining a long line of souls from across the ages. I'd heard people ask questions about prayer. Does God hear our prayers? Does prayer work? What if you pray and you don't get an answer? I never found those questions that interesting. It felt like they turned the great mystery into a vending machine. By the way, I like that line. <laughs> good job. <laughs> when, you, when you read your own book, that's a good line. Say or do or believe or ask for the right thing and then you'll get what you want or you won't, that sort of thing. But that now what prayer, that prayer changed me. There was a world of confusion and longing and frustration trapped in my chest. And that now what prayer dragged it all out in the open. It gave language to that black hole of despair. 
I was angry that the one thing that had ever really made me feel like I had something unique to contribute was being taken away from me, and there was nothing I could do about it. That prayer gave all that rage and grief and loss words. Day after day in that hospital bed, wondering what I was going to do with my life, repeating those two words. I eventually recovered and went back to school, but that prayer stayed with me. It gradually morphed from an anguished, bitter cry to a question, a quest, a line of inquiry. As the emotion ebbed from it, curiosity emerged. Now what? It's like those two words grew into the question they'd always been. I started paying attention to my life in new ways. I started looking for clues and direction. I started listening more. And what strikes me is in that Everyday Thin Places podcast with Elizabeth and Rachel, they grabbed hold of now what as both a rage, ache, uh, sad prayer of like giving expression to the sort of deepest pain in the heart. But then now what also has this like curiosity within it. Now what? Right. You can feel the softening of it as, yeah. as time goes on. And as all that rage and grief gets expressed, there's like a deep inner softening right. where you can then say, with, like you said, with the curiosity, like now what? Right. Right. And they connected it with this moment in time, this yeah. moment with pandemic, this moment with upheaval and resistance and protest, this moment with political insanity and instability. And you know what I mean? The very foundations of this democratic experience being threatened right. by this president. It, like now what is like, now what today when I check the news? Now what he I will have been I actually feel tweeted. like we now go what? through the cycle daily. Right. There's like an anger, a rage, a, a frustration. Yeah. Um, and then... Maybe daily, maybe weekly, maybe monthly, whatever it is, a cycle is a cycle. But um, in order to adapt, at some point, we have to let it soften. And okay, right. now what? What's my next step? Yes. And now that they're saying that everybody, uh, especially in colder climates, going indoors, which means air circulation, which means another wave coming of infections, and like this thing that we've all been in now for six months, extending, like all, even the most optimistic projections are like, it's going to be a while longer. Um, you have like, now what? But then that ever so subtle energetic shift to now what? Like what, what new is hiding in all of this mess? And you, you and Trace, by the way, listening to you and Trace, do a Robcast about the book. Yeah. <laughs> I was like walking. I was like, where do I put in my headphones and walked around the neighborhood listening to you and our eldest son. I know. Talk it's so, about, it was so out of body. Well, oh my word. <laughs> already life is so surreal because <laughs> yeah. of this weird virus thing, our weird political situation. Like mm -hmm. life is already so surreal. And then... I found it funny doing the podcast with Trace because 
when I would refer to you, I didn't want to say Rob because that's <laughs> not how we refer to you around here. <laughs> but then when I said dad, it, that felt weird too. So it's like, I don't even You're... know, I don't even know who I'm talking about. <laughs> This guy that we live with that wrote this book, I don't know. Because <laughs> if you were talking to Trace and you were like, you know, what Rob Bell wrote here on page, <laughs> right. that's just weird. But then talking to all the people listening to the Robcast about you saying, you know, dad, right. that's well, weird. And it's also, that's weird for you. It's also very surreal to be doing your podcast with our son. <laughs> right. Who's in it? Who who is like who was just like a little squirt not too long ago? Like, <laughs> well, how did this happen? <laughs> oh, that is awesome! Oh my word! But you had you had now what? Yeah, you, you had so seen, good. You had read it. It sums up so much of our emotional state and how we can go through the cycle mm-hmm. of going from grief and loss to acceptance. To me, it just it, it encapsulated in two words, like that cycle, uh, just by shifting yeah, how yeah. you say it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this goes back to your question about um, what are the common things that people have picked up on? And a number of people start to ask a question about the book, but, but they like, they're trying to figure out how to phrase it. And sometimes I say, um, the book is a feeling as much as it is an account or a teaching. And it's so interesting is people often go, yes. It's like, yeah, there's a feeling baked into it that this experience that we're having here is fairly fragile and wobbly. It's a bit dodgy. Like a lot of things can go wrong. And the book in some ways is a whole series of things like embarrassing, awkward things not going that great. And yet there's something just below the surface always inviting me. You know what I mean? Spirit in all the mess, which is in some senses now what? There is the now what of this thing is falling apart. This is awkward. This is breaking my heart. This is not working, which we all encounter consistently. And then there is also now what of opening your eyes to what is lurking in it. What new creation wants to come out of even this mess, which is now what? Right, and if I could witness to what I think you've been doing the whole time is you tend to question the assumptions. I mean, that's what was happening in the beginning days of Mars Hill, is you were questioning the assumptions of how you engage with spirit. Yeah. Like we lived in a very uh, traditional area where there were a lot of forms for how you encounter spirit. Ah, uh, yeah. And you started pulling some of those back and there was so much life there. Um, but I think that you also do that with this book is you subtly cha- challenge the assumptions of what a spiritual book is uh, like yeah for example there are no chapters in this book <laughs> <laughs> oh people so, do mention that that's interesting people a number because of you enter into it and it carries you along yeah it's not like a how-to book it's not a seven steps it's not a 
these are the things you need to get straight in your head. These are the, you don't even like, I mean, you do bold some things that are like anchor points that you can hold on to. But I think you leave it so much more open for people to experience it wherever they are. Like you can enter into it wherever you are and find something in your story in how you like, like this not only is your story, but it's also what you learned during this period of time. The now yeah. what prayer yeah. was something that you learned early on that formed the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see this book much more like a piece of art, hopefully. Like, like just mm -hmm. like art, you can enter into it in so yeah. many different ways. I, that's how I see this. Uh, I love it. And I, I mean, it. aren't our lives... Absolutely. Art? Like, Absolutely. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's like... Um, we have control over some things, but not others. Like we, we get these ingredients and we get mm -hmm. to create with these ingredients. Yes. yes. Um, it's, uh, it's just a much more freeing way to look at life and meaning is that it's, this is our artwork. This is our Absolutely. creativity. And, I, and for many people that leads to a significant shift in their experience of life when you move to seeing that you are creating your life, and that is uh, that is what art is. You're giving expression to something. So how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, where you go, that's all shaping and crafting. And when you move to art, is stuff that happens over there. To you no, know, there's a there's a dimension, there's an art dimension to how you even shape and craft your life. Well, that just changes everything. Right. I think it puts us much more in a state of flow. Yeah. With all that is. Yeah. Instead of the problem solving mode. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is like you think about parents who are just trying to solve problems with kids, which is fine. Sometimes there are problems you need to solve. But at a larger level, there's, a, there's an art to raising this kid because you're learning who this kid and who this kid wants to be. And that's art. There's an art to this. Right. I recently heard that some of the reason why we wake up in the morning with our list of problems that need to be solved is because it gives us a sense of control. Even, mm. even if it's a false sense of control, sometimes um, our anxiety will create, sometimes even create problems that need to be solved so that we have a sense of control over our lives. And structure. Yeah. And I think looking at our lives in a different way, I think helps us let go of some of those, some of that tight grasping. Yeah. So yeah. that we can flow with what is. And then when you, you learn that when you start flowing more, that solutions to those problems come to you or maybe the problems even resolve themselves, yes. Yes. but it's just a different way of going through life and it's so much more enjoyable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now what? 
I even no, I, 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 I like that section also because uh, turning the great mystery into a vending machine. I've noticed for so many people, what is prayer is a question. Because a prayer was like there's a, a vending machine in the sky. So you ask for things and then you either get them or don't. And that leaves a whole bunch of other questions, leads to a whole bunch of other questions as opposed to prayer as a way of life, prayer as naming what's going on inside of you, almost like offering up every square inch of your life to see it in a larger field of meaning. Yeah. And you know, what's really subtly or even overtly damaging about the view of the vending machine in the sky is that when you don't get what you're asking for, when you don't get what you want, you think it had something to do with you. There's something wrong with you. You're not doing it right. You're not trying hard enough. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. Whatever the thing is, um, we often, when we don't get what we want and we think that there's some outside force Mm -hmm. or, I don't know, even wishful thinking or Mm -hmm. there's some interesting connection that we consciously or subconsciously make that uh, right, if only I did it right, 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 then everything would be okay. Because your default posture is cause and effect. Right. So I've got to figure out what, and then try harder is generally going to be. Right. And we try harder and that doesn't work. And so then we beat ourselves up more. Like it's right, like, right, right. Um, but just kind of blowing up the vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, allows you to, again, flow with life instead of, I don't know, I just see so many people who who carry around so much blame. Right, there must be something shame. wrong with me, as opposed to living your life with an openness and a vulnerability that you're saying thank you and you're asking for things, you're also... It's the questions. You're like ripping open your rib cage and you're offering it all up because that's it's openness where where all the interesting things start to happen. Yeah, now what? Okay, you you have a book open though. You have your book open. I do. I mean, if I get to talk to the author, <laughs> I have some things I want to talk about. <laughs> You're now the author. Oh, Rob oh. Rob Bell the author. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Oh my goodness. Yeah, okay. This is another section that stood out to me. And um I would love to just have a conversation about it because I thought it was really important. And it's still in the first this is on page 91, so it's still in the beginning of the book. Like in my 20s. I know. What did I know? The beginning of your life, the beginning of the book. <laughs> um, so you're, you're talking about being at Mars Hill and having all these voices on your shoulder about what you should be doing with this institution that is... Ex- growing at this kind of exponential pace and mm-hmm. 
there's all these people who are trying to keep up with it. And so there are all these opinions about what you as the spokesperson should be doing. And so I'm just going to start reading in this section because this is what I underlined. You say, I have this deep, resonant inner voice that keeps insisting that I'm here to make things. But then I'm surrounded by these voices, strong, smart, clear voices, telling me that my primary job is to lead this church that I started. So that's, that's the part I would love to talk about um, because the phrase that stood out to me is this deep, resonant inner voice. Yeah. And I noticed in the section that follows, you kind of outline what ends up happening to you when you don't listen to this voice. Yeah. Um, and things like shame, you start asking like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be the leader that these people want me to be? Why can't mm -hmm. I just do this thing that they're asking is, me to do? Right, what's my problem? Why can't I just work? Right. Like, it's like searching for some source of energy or wisdom or something that I couldn't find. It's like, I'm not able to do this. Ah, it's utter helplessness at some level. Right. And then I noticed um, you talked about guilt in your story. Um, and sometimes guilt can be disguised um, when you say like, I should be grateful for this job. Yeah. I mean, which is again, shame. But um, I just noticed that, uh, let's see, guilt was coming up. Let's see. You talk about supernatural exhaustion from carrying around all that anxiety day after day. Um, you were unable to sleep well. You were unable to stay focused. And the questions, you said, shame is a master at those haunting, relentless inquiries. Why can't I do it all? Why can't I be tougher, stronger, more organized, more strategic? Why am I unable to be what these people say I should be? Why do other people seem to be able to do this effortlessly and I can't take one step without tripping? Mm, man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. So, yeah. Whew. I, can, me, I can like feel that section. That's like 2002, 2003, 2004. It's interesting hearing you read that. I can, I can feel it, what that felt like. Right. There's a stuckness to it, right? Like, because at that point you still believe that if only you could muster the strength, if only you could, <laughs> right. Right. you know what, do, do the right things. Wake up at 5.30 in the morning. And, <laughs> and it's all in your head, which... which in your head, there's some ideal person who could do this. You know what I mean? How often people are like, why? The amount of times I interact with people and they have some ideal person that they're measuring themselves against. But when you ask them who that person is, no one can ever name that person. <laughs> or they say, like so-and-so. But then in the moment they can name somebody, they're naming what they do know about themselves with what they don't know about that person. 
they're taking their their public perceptions of that person and then filling in the blanks. But you and I, I mean, we've, I mean, we've met a lot of famous people who are a wreck. We that, in fact, that bubble got popped for us a mm-hmm. long time ago. Yeah. That, that don't, you, you don't, whatever that perception you have of the person, don't trust it. And not right. don't trust it, just there's always more to the story. Right, right. So just... It's a perception. It never, ever, ever helps you be. I think the bottom line you. is whatever you're seeing in someone else is a person, like it's just what you're perceiving. Absolutely. It's like an you, ephemeral visage. You already have lenses on <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> when yes. you're looking at them. Yes. And the lenses are always going to lead to a sense of self defeat and shame and insecurity and inadequacy. You make an appearance in this section of the book. Right. I, I think I saved the day. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it would be too weird if I read that part. Oh, wouldn't it be great? Oh, please read it. Okay, I'll, I'll read it. <laughs> That'll be, this will be somewhat meta. You're going to read from my book about yourself. Right. Oh. And I'm going to refer to friends. myself in the third person. Oh, yes. <laughs> Oh, this will be fantastic. Okay, on page 93, Kristen, as usual, is a step ahead. That's very kind. And true. Those were my words. (laughs) No, that's in the book. (laughs) Okay, now these are Rob's words. Rob, the author. (laughs) Sometimes she would say to me, what if you were an oil painter? And she goes on. If you were here to make beautiful and meaningful paintings, then we'd set up your life to be as simple and focused as possible so that you could do just that. Now, these are Rob's words. That helped so much. There was something that sounded so clean and zen-like about living with that kind of clarity, something involving soul. That's what she kept talking about, soul. Yeah. So I think what happened there is that you seem to be stuck in this cycle that was being generated by all these voices. Yeah. That were not what you refer to in the very beginning, the deep resonant inner voice. Yeah. And so it just like jumped out at me. Like in order to listen to that deep resonant inner voice, mm-hmm. we first have to get quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think part of me asking you, like, if you were an oil painter, how would we set your life up? I think it jolted you out of the normal way of thinking. Like yeah. your thinking was in a rut around your life, your work, um, and that was like a, huh, what would we do? It was like, it was like it quieted all the voices. Absolutely. So that you could tune into your own deep resonant voice. You know, there's another question. You, when you would say that, you would also ask a question. I remember you would say, would you drive like an old beaten up pickup truck? Remember that? Yeah. Somehow a, a beat up pickup truck was in that, was hovered around that. You'd say something like, I mean, what would you drive? What would you like? What would your life be like? Because my life was so complicated with all of these expectations, and I had only ever known you keep everybody around you happy. 
you just run faster. Like you don't, I mean, the absolute terror that somebody would think you're lazy or that you're not a team player or that you're not loyal or that you're a quitter or that you can't hack it or that you're not committed or that you don't believe in the mission enough to make sacrifice, whatever, whatever language. Um, generally, the tribe has different language patterns to shame people into conformity. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Most businesses have it. Family systems have it. Academic settings have it. There's the language that's used to get you in line. Right. Um, and so sometimes when you're feeling that stuck, an exercise in imagination. Yeah. And if yeah. you can fill in as many details as you can, yeah. like, like what if you were an oil painter and <laughs> drove an old beat up truck and, and, and it, yeah, yeah, because I would, wh where would you live and what would you like? Yeah. yeah. It's not necessarily like what you wanted to do. Like it wasn't what you wanted to do. You didn't want to be an oil painter, but it was enough of an exercise in imagination that it got those voices off yeah. your shoulder yeah. so that you could tune in to your yeah. deep resonant yeah, inner I voice. Would sit, I remember sitting in meetings, having meetings about meetings, but I would sit in the meeting. I remember the, the first Everything is Spiritual tour, which was about quantum physics and Hebrew poetry, and I did all these drawings about dimensions. I was having these, but I'd never seen that, someone talk about that like that, or like do a club tour with a giant whiteboard. I hadn't seen that. Or Velvet Elvis, like the first book, or the short films, or I kept having these ideas of things to make. So I'd be sitting in this meeting talking about running this organization, this church, but in my head, my, my brain, mind, heart never stopped coming up with these things to make. But if I in the meeting would have said, I'm sorry, can you guys just talk a little quieter? I have some important thinking to do about quantum physics in Genesis chapter one. He'd be like, what are you crazy? Because I couldn't even explain it to people. I just had to make it. You know what I mean? It was right. like a deep knowing, I'm here to make these things. I'm here to write that book, which wasn't my quote unquote job on the surface. So it was like, it was like a surface, it was like an interior exterior. Even soul was like, there's all this material reality around you, literally an office and people and lists of things to do, a paycheck. And then there was soul, which like that deep knowing that's like, uh, this is what you're here to do. Not that, this. Right. And Whew. once you tune into that and you realize, like you, you kind of then get confronted with a choice. Yeah, How just, much do I love this? How, yeah. Because I might need to give something up. Yeah. So how much do I love it? Do right. I love it enough to give up this, this, and this? Yeah, yeah. Because immediately it called into question, what do we mean by success? Which, with, which in the Something to Say sessions that I do, for so many people, the the way that they get unstuck is they face what they mean by success because they realize numbers, um, reach, how big the platform is, fame, whatever it is, 
Oh, right. What do you love more than that? The thing, right? Something mm-hmm. rises within you that challenges what you are taught is success. And you're like, wait. I mean, the number of people I've watched have massive breakthroughs when they realize, oh, I'm chasing something that I don't actually want. Yeah. I've bought into somebody somewhere's idea of what success is. And yet something within me actually isn't interested. Right. Because success might be satisfaction yeah, in your less. work. Yeah. It might just be less and depth, less but depth. Or the, the, um, the one I've seen often is somebody does something that brings them great satisfaction and they're good at it. And so oftentimes in business, what happens is that person then gets put in charge. They get promoted. Mm-hmm. And their job is to be in charge of all the people who do what they used to do. Right. So now there's like a corner office and there's more money and they have a, a higher position. But now they're overseeing all the people who are doing the actual thing. And they're like, it's not, it's not as meaningful. It's not as rewarding. It's not as fun. And they're like, actually, I just... I actually just kind of like the, that work. I don't right. want to oversee the people. But then that would mean nobody ever says, I don't really actually want the corner office. And you know what? Pay me less. I'd rather just do the thing that I really like to do. Like it's so counterintuitive to go backwards. And yet so many people get stuck thinking it's a promotion. It's not. It <laughs> right. may not be. Right. According to who? Be suspicious of the promotion. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's, I mean, you and I, we went, th- that was early 30s. Like our, n- our notions of success just got blasted to pieces. It was actually a very disruptive experience. You know what I mean? It's like we had to re- rewire all these neural pathways. Right, which goes back to what we were talking about with the now what prayer. Um, you write here, it's at the end of ourselves that new futures open up. Yeah. yeah. So it's, this is the cycle that we go through. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. at the end of ourselves that new futures open up. I mean, even in this past six months, moments when you and I have been like, we're going to be in the house for how long? With the world on a, some form of lockdown this many things aren't available to us like they were. And, you know, we come to it like, and then another something opens up. Right. I've seen it happen over and over on like kind of a, a daily level or a, Mm -hmm. or a new season level. Like how are we going to get through this? (laughs) And then it's like a a way appears. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. But I've noticed the way doesn't appear until I've gone through like a grief process, a letting go, a Mm. like, okay. Wow, that's powerful. I've gotten to the end of how I thought things were going to go. Yeah. I've gotten to the end of what I can control. Yeah. Um, There, it's like a death and rebirth over and over. Yeah. I mean, it happens on large levels and it happens on small levels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have to die before you can be reborn. Yeah. Cuz you've you've tried 
everything that you can think of and you're like at this point of frustration and 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 your nerves are shot it's like ah now what and that's actually where the now what but i think that's what's going on in this story um where you get you get to the end of like the the questions the the shame that's coming up the exhaustion your body starts giving out (laughs) like I'm sure at this point you're saying, now what? And I also think you got to a point where you were at the end of yourself. Yeah, for sure. And so then it gradually it became, okay, I'm going to listen to this voice. Okay, I'm going to do less and less of that. And I'm going to let a bunch of people down. And I'm going to disappoint people. And um, it's like spinning plates. Some of these plates might drop and break. And I'll let them. And other people will have to step up. And there's a thing over here I need to do, and I can't really explain it. I'll make it, then we'll find out what it is. I had to learn to start to trust that. And then it was like a long, slow evolution in that direction. What a fa- That's fascinating to think about now. Because now it just yeah. is how, how we live. But then it was like, whoa, you can disappoint people. Right. And you still are alive. Right. You can have people think that you're, want like lost lost it and you're still here you're fine (laughs) you're actually fine right all your worst fears right or even you know what you can do this in a way that it's never been done yeah like and that's part of what was so hard for you make up different rules is you you were acting according to your soul in Mm -hmm starting Mars Hill and the way you were teaching and er- everything you were doing. Yeah, you're right. Um, but you just encountered some resistance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> oh, my word. That is fun. Okay, what do you got? Yeah, that's what I got. That's the main thing. Let's see what else I have. Oh, you have like little yellow post-it notes. I know. Well, this was actually from before when I was doing this with Trace. <laughs> we each read through it and marked all the places that kind of like stood out to us. It was... <laughs> I mean, do you want to talk about one more section? Yes. Okay. I'm fast. I, I, yeah. I mean, you, you going through the book just means the world to me. It's like you thinking it's a good book was like that one time when you read it and you were like, hey, this is pretty good. <laughs> Then what did I actually say? I was like, quote me exactly. Uh, I, I didn't remember. say pretty good. <laughs> Whatever you said. I said, this is really good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that was like, whoa, that is amazing. Yeah. yeah. That was an incredible feeling. Okay. You got another section. Okay. Yeah. I like this part on page 115. Uh, spirit needs form. And you say, that was the giant truth I was feeling my way into. Spirit needs form, and form needs spirit. That was the other truth I was finding my way into. Both are needed. And then you say, we need forms, guides, reference points, traditions, lineage, films, sculptures, texts, prayers, poems, stories, songs, rituals, practices, reminders. They help us access and experience spirit. And I love that idea that there's this dance between spirit and form. Mm-hmm. And that if you get too much form, 
it's kind of like the life gets sucked out. Yeah. But if it's all spirit and no form, we can find ourselves kind of adrift and confused. And it's, it's kind of like the, the universe is too big. Like we need a little restriction. We need like a little, like we need a little form, a little bumpers. <laughs> well, you, you think about matter itself. You think about big bang 13 billion years ago. Spirit animates particles, the bond, and that creates atoms. If you think about spirit as like the animating energy of the whole universe, um, even the line between material and immaterial is, is blurred, we now know, because the chair that you're sitting in is made of atoms and they're made of particles, and that is ultimately a cloud of possibilities. So even what we mean by form is a little... It's a little questionable, but nevertheless, this whole experience that we're having of spirit animating forms is at the heart of the human experience. Yeah, it's very, very mysterious how this all works because there's this energy, electricity, yet that sense that the whole thing is moving forward. And then there is all this form we're surrounded by that's constantly morphing and transforming. It's, yeah, I'm trying to get that in the book. I'm trying to help people pick up this feeling. Like even the fact that your body grows and then it keeps replacing itself. You know what I mean? Like seven, well, every seven years, your entire body, all your cells replace themselves. So even your body itself is a form that we would need to have you, Kristen, and me, Rob. We have to have these bodies or we don't, you can't even grasp each other. And yet... Right. Without a body, there is no experience. Right. And yet the body itself, even as a form, is constantly changing. So you're not the Kristen from seven years ago, even though there's some sort of continuity to you. Yeah. So the whole thing. Yeah. So then when you get into uh, the example there of second grade, third grade, fourth grade. Well, I think even in telling your story and and telling about the family that you come from, mm -hmm. that's a form. Mm -hmm. Like we were each get in our experience of this life, we yes. were given a form yeah. through our families, through our lineage, through what we were born into. Mm -hmm. um, and that... I think what you do is you just, you weave it all together. You just show like, kind of like, these are the ingredients that I got. Yes. And this is what I, this is yes. what came out of that. Right, right, right. This so, is the experience I had within that form. So when somebody's like, well, I'm stuck in this town, in this thing, in this body, in this, oh, you're, you are grabbing hold of the form and missing the animating spirit present in all of it. Right. So where's it headed next? Right. And like I think you were just saying about the body is always changing. I mean, is it true that forms are always changing? Absolutely. Are forms always evolving? This is Ab my question for the author. <laughs> <laughs> you think forms are always in flux. Well, think about how... how, how many times a sense of despair or a sense of hopelessness 
is actually rooted in the static view of the universe. It just is. Mm -hmm. The universe just is. I'm just here doing this boring job with these people, whatever it is. Um, but the whole thing is fixed in the person's mind. Well, no wonder that's going to lead to a sense of despair or hopelessness. Tomorrow is simply a repeat of today. But when you come to see the whole thing as spirit animating forms, then the universe, its natural state is becoming. It's unfolding. It's dynamic. It's for 13 billion years, the universe has been expanding. So instead of this fixed place with set forms that you go out, like even the idea of parents teaching a kid, you go out into the world and try to find your place in it. What that ever so subtly communicates to the kid is the world is fixed. All the forms are set in stone, concrete, cement, and then you go out and try to find your place as opposed to a dynamic expanding universe that's 13 billion years of this unfolding and you participate in its ongoing creation. Even that subtle language, the forms are constantly unfolding and changing and morphing and you're joining the whole thing in this ongoing creation. Right, so sometimes even when it looks like the forms aren't changing. Like, maybe it's just very, very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So that's the power of listening to deep knowing is what's the new creation waiting to burst forth right in the midst of this? What's the next step right, I've inviting you to take it? I even wonder if with technology, we sometimes have the expectation that things should change quickly because technology mm. does work very quickly. Yeah. Um, I've thought about this in relation to the coronavirus, that this is moving very slowly for us. Like, we're not able to get on top of this like we would mm -hmm. like to. Yeah. Um, science isn't moving fast enough for us. We're not creating a vaccine fast enough. Like, I feel like there's all these ways that we're right now being confronted with our desire for things to move very quickly and have control over things. But this virus has like a, it has like a cycle of its own. Its own timetable. It's being a virus. Someone and I were talking about this the other day. The virus is being a virus. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's doing what pandemic viruses do. But it's I've even thought about how hard it is for us to sometimes, for some people to connect the dots between if you have large gatherings and parties, <laughs> yeah. there will be a consequence. Yeah. It, you might not see the results. You might not see the consequence of that for a month. Right. Right. And so it feels like there is no consequence because we're yeah. used to like instant cause and effect. Right, 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 um, right. So I do think that's challenging. This whole situation is challenging our thinking on time and how things yeah. work and what we can control and what science knows and what science doesn't know. I mean, we're well into this. What is this, eight months? Yeah. Nine, 
is it? I, I've lost track. But anyway. March to October. Ooh, seven months. Seven months. Um, there's still so many things that doctors and scientists don't know mm-hmm. about the virus and how it functions in the human body. <laughs> like, we're not used to that. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah, has yeah. been a, a really challenging new experience for us in that way. And I guess I bring this up because in our discussion about how it sometimes feels like things aren't changing, Mm. it's good to challenge the assumption of what change even looks like. Ah, yes, yes. Because it can be like walking through a mist where you gradually get wet. You know what I mean? And you don't even notice you're getting wet. Right, right. I think we will look back on this time and notice all sorts of things that were shifting and changing that we won't actually be able to see until we're on the other side. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Even the ways in which it's changed us. You can you kind of know this experience is doing something to you. Right? You know like but you can't There's so many we all even know this. We know that this experience is changing us. We don't exactly know how and in hindsight, will be so much more clear on what this is. Because right when you're in it, you don't yet have that perspective. Right. Very strange. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the dance between spirit and form. Yeah, and, and what I really wanted people to come to see is how your life is currently arranged. Great. That works, great. But you'll grow. You'll have experiences. Things will shift. And then you'll arrange things differently. And holding the whole thing looser, a chapter will come and then it'll end. And then there'll be an in-between, then a new chapter will start. And how the forms have a, a malleability to them and... I, I like the, it's like a cumulative effect of the book as I was writing so that people would ha- be able to see, oh yeah, that thing ended, that was okay. Oh, that thing started up, all right, let's see what's next. Like the, let, the for- let the forms come and go as they want to because what you're actually after is an experience of spirit, the full presence, you're engaged, you're participating right here, right now. Yeah, that reminded me on page 179, you write, endings are often bad, painful, awkward, ugly, but endings can also be good. Yeah. And a lot of people love that thing that you've said. I've heard people say it. Um, That with endings, a lot of times a graduation, (laughs) like... Oh, yeah. you, You say it better than me. Graduations... Can easily become a divorce. Right. When you stay too long. Yeah, actually, lots of people, that's that section. The idea, the counterintuitive truth that sometimes chapters end because they're good, not because anything went wrong. And for so many people, things only end because they fell apart and not, this was great, and now we're now I'm going to leave because it's good. Right, which goes back to trusting that deep, inner voice. Yes, 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 yes. And, and, um, and I've noticed how many people 
that section is so counterintuitive to our world where so many systems drilled into people, loyalty, don't be a quitter, um, don't be a deserter, and like an overdeveloped sense of attachment to people and places as opposed to this is a great thing. Or even the idea that you can will yourself into being something for somebody. Right. You can just muscle your way through it. (laughs) Yes. And in the process, just be dying of misery. Right. You lose the spirit, the soul, whatever you want to say, the life. Yeah. And the more connected you are with the earth, the more you're aware that there are seasons. We're not angry with winter. Right. You know what I mean? No one has an issue with spring. Well, we might be angry at winter. (laughs) (laughs) Not here. (laughs) Um, But uh, the the fact that things ending and things beginning is just baked into the, into creation itself. So then your life will have beginnings and endings. Yeah. I do think that that truth seems to be something we need each other to say. Yeah. Is that endings are good. Endings are okay. Yeah. Um, I remember a long time ago, I read a book called necessary endings. Yeah. And it was so freeing. Yeah, Dr. Cloud. That's right. a good book. It was mm-hmm. well, it was just freeing to get that perspective. Like mm-hmm. if deep down you feel like something's over, that's not bad. It's okay. It's great. It's good. It yeah. means that there's going to be a new beginning. Yeah, say thanks. Yeah. Yeah, now what? Now what? <laughs> oh my word, this was seriously you reading me sections from the book. I know. The weirdest part was when I read my words mixed with your words. Oh, I'm telling you, you're a fantastic character in the book. <laughs> yeah. We're all characters in the book. Right. You wrote, you wrote me well. Well, I wrote you true. Yeah, you wrote me well. I am glad you have those lenses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just wrote it. I wrote it as I experienced it. You. <laughs> so how did this interview with the author go? Oh, this was fun. <laughs> Maybe we should do this again. I have more questions. More things I want to discuss. Okay. Oh, friends. We're sitting here on a Monday. Grace and peace from Rob Dad author and Kristen. Oh, man. Grace and peace be with you.